Well, hello and welcome to episode 431 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Nev and welcome to everybody that's watching the show. Sorry that Carlos is not here this week. He's doing another one of his gigs, but uh, we are going to have quite a nice show for you tonight. Lots of stuff. And uh, in fact, uh, in this week's show, we feature more overruns than an airline pilot guy show episode. Uh, <laughs> An EasyJet A320 has a close encounter with a drone and British Airways returns to its full club world service. In the military, we have got quite a few new aircraft entering service and we've got an update on last week's story of Western pilots advising the Chinese military. And joining me this week over in the PTUK Master Suite studio is Matt Smith. Not, Hello, ne Matt. not necessarily pressing all the right buttons this week, it seems. Uh, well, you know... <laughs> But yes, I'm here. How are you, mate? You all right? Very well, thanks. Yes, not bad at all. How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad, actually. So I've been quite busy, quite busy. We're sort of, uh, believe it or not, we're romping up to that... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word yet, am I? Christmas. Oh. Uh, I know, I know. We're sort of romping up to that at work. So it's been a lot of meetings sort of in terms of planning and, and how we're going to work failures and stuff like that. So it's been a, it's been an interesting week really sort of planning for Christmas because sort of first or second week in, uh, um, it, all, it all kicks off in earnest. So uh, It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really not yeah. far away at all. But uh, yes, I'm very good. How about you? What have you been up to this week? Yeah, I uh, went to Helsinki uh, in Finland on Monday and Tuesday. Came back on Wednesday morning morning and uh on the airbus a350 900 both ways and that was that's a lovely aircraft it is so quiet um very comfortable and uh, yeah very pleasing as well nice food from the finnair boys and girls and nice service as well so that was uh, really nice so glad to be back home but mm. it was a nice trip very i good. bet i bet so, yeah and uh, anyway uh, over in the united states of america somewhere is armando morning armando Good morning. It is actually morning here. It's uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado, where it snowed last night. <laughs> um, I have this beautiful view of the snow-capped Rocky Mountains right outside my window. It's a gorgeous day. Finishing up training here at uh, Flight Safety for my Pilatus recurrent training. So I'll have a day off today and then check ride tomorrow. And then I fly home back to Charlotte tomorrow. Lovely. Nice. So it sounds like you're uh, busy back in the sim is that right as well it they do keep you busy especially on recurrence where they don't have as much to teach you they they just like to throw literally everything in the book at you and uh you know one day is a high hot and heavy so high density altitude it's hot you're heavy it's surrounded by mountains and wind shear yesterday was the icing day so you're flying around in icing all day long with uh de-icing equipment failures and all kinds of crazy you know they, they'll throw equipment avionics failures at the same time as they give you airplane failures and the whole time you're in ice you can't see anything trying to knock out approaches it's it's well let's just hope that i never have any flight in re in, in real life as as stressful as anything in the simulator <laughs> yeah i mean that's the plan isn't it usually i suppose <clears throat> They literally yeah. throw everything but the kitchen sink. Well, and so sometimes including the kitchen sink, they throw it all at you. <laughs> Just go nuts. I wouldn't put it past them actually bringing the kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that reminds me. Well, of let's uh, have a look. At it. 
Sorry, go on. I was going to say that reminds me of our 200th episode that we have at um, at the Sim Centre in London, wasn't it? And and uh, we did literally throw everything at uh, Captain Jeff, didn't we, in the simulator? Yes, that was uh, that was quite amusing. Yes. But he did cope remarkably did. well with it. He still put it on the tarmac, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And heavily chewing the chewing gum, I seem to remember. The, the level of concentration was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. more, more than any flight he's ever been on, I think. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks to everybody in the chat room tonight. Let's just read out uh, who's in the chat room. It's Richard Adams, uh, Mazuz Karim, uh, Dirk S is in there, uh, Captain Cruz, Lee Davis, uh, Graham Haley's there. Hello, Graham. Evan Shue, all the way from Australia. Morning to you, uh, Evan. Uh, who else is there? Uh, Bill's in there. Hello, Bill. Good to see you in there as well. Pilot Pip is in there. Uh, and who else? Uh, somebody called John Clader's in there. I don't know who he is. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, who else have we got there? <laughs> yeah, I know it is. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, precisely. And so, yeah, thank you one and all for joining us in the chat room. Really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, uh, later on, we've got the final part of the uh, Chris Burwell interview. Uh, which Nick did for us. That will be a, a fascinating mm. uh, quarter an hour or so as well. So, uh, so let's get going with the commercial section. Off we go. Let's turn on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Well, this week there's lots of stuff going on with runway overruns, bad weather, evacuations and precautionary disembarkations. Uh, the websites that we've taken these from are semanticscholar.org, avherald.com, uh, aviation24.be, simpleflying.com, avherald and from Twitter as well. Um, now, just before we get started, a precautionary disembarkation, of course, is a type of evacuation where passengers are quickly disembarked from an aircraft in a controlled manner. Sometimes slides are used and sometimes stairs are used, and sometimes both are. Generally, passengers are told to leave everything behind in this situation, but crew are told to use their judgment in allowing or not allowing passengers to carry belongings with them. Crew usually will use evacuation commands with passengers to remain assertive but not distressing so as to cause panic. Uh, there aren't time limits for these kinds of evacuations, so an aircraft would not need, need to be evacuated in 90 seconds or less, but they can take quite a while. So, for example, the precautionary disembarkation of QF-32, which, if you remember, was the A380, with 469 passengers and crew on board, took an hour to coordinate before it commenced uh, and a further hour to actually complete it. But there's been quite a lot happening uh, over the last week or so. Um, a Century Canadair uh, CRJ200 deviated off the runway after landing in Managua, Nicaragua. A precautionary disembarkation of 59 people occurred, with no injuries, fortunately, and the aircraft had little to no damage. Uh, on the 20th of October, an Amelia um, International Embraer 145 registered Foxtrot uh, Hotel Yankee Oscar Golf operating domestic flight 8 Romeo 1217 between Rode and 
Paris Orly in France. During landing at the Parisian airport, the aircraft suffered a runway excursion. Rescue services rushed the site. 42 passengers and crew safely exited the aircraft and were attended to by airport staff, the airport wrote on social media. Uh, on October the 22nd, Rwand flight uh, WB601 from Kigali International Airport to Kamambi International Airport touched down at its destination at 7.37 local time on Saturday. However, a uh, Dash 8 ended up approximately 100 metres from the end of the runway in a patch of tall grass. A precautionary disembarkation of passengers and crew resulted in no reported injuries. Um, just as a side note, this actually the airport is quite high, uh, 5,192 feet above mean sea level, and the runway is just under 5,000 feet long or short, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, on the 26th of October, a LATAM Airbus A320 suffers substantial damage to its windshield, engine and radome after flying through a hailstorm. Due to the heavy turbulence, almost the entire nose radome had broken away. Uh, the Airbus A320-200 registration, uh, Charlie Charlie Bravo uh, Alpha Zulu, performing flight uh, LA1325 from Santiago, in Chile to Asuncion, Paraguay, with 48 people on board. However, after encountering a heavy storm, the crew decided to uh, divert to Foz do Ignacu uh, for a safe landing about 40 minutes after a go-around. Uh, the aircraft was on approach to Ascension's runway 20 when the crew initiated a go-around from 2,400 feet due to weather, as reported by the Aviation Herald. Uh, after remaining on the ground for slightly more than three hours, the aircraft departed to Ascension again. Uh, however, this time as well, the aircraft apparently got caught by a severe storm where the damage happened, but continued for a safe landing about five hours after the go-around. Uh, and on October the 23rd, a Korean Airlines Airbus A320-300, A330-300, uh, registration Hotel Lima 7525, performing flight KE631 from Seoul to Cebu City, uh, with 162 passengers and 11 crew on board, had gone around at a low height uh, twice following approach to Cebu's runway 22. Climbed back up to 5,000 feet, entered a hold and landed on Cebu's runway 20. Sorry, runway 22 at 23.07, about 55 minutes after the first and about 42 minutes after the second go-round. The aircraft crossed the runway and at about 80 knots over the ground and came to a stop about 360 metres past the runway end, close to the airport perimeter fence. No injuries are being reported, but the aircraft, having broken through the localiser antenna, received substantial damage, including collapse of the nose gear, damage to the nose, underbelly and penetration to the cockpit. Uh, Philippines Civil Aviation Authority have opened an investigation into the accident. Um, well, it's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, with the weather being a bit inclement from, you know, uh, various parts of the world. Um, and a lot of these uh, incidents seem to be weather related, don't they? Um, th th there was bad weather in the area or around the terminal area of the airport. What do you think, uh, Armando? Yeah, I, I think this is, um, <clears throat> I think this is for, for one week or, or two weeks worth this is pretty significant as far as overruns. I, I'm sure the industry as a whole will probably take a look at this. It's already a, a high interest safety item. It's 
you know, especially in the Jets, it's such an easy thing to do. Um, you know that we you train <clears throat> as we were just talking about. You know, you train for for wind shear events. You train for heavy weather, uh, but it doesn't. You know, this this kind of I don't know. I don't know if this makes you feel better or worse as a passenger, but it, it doesn't take too much to get it wrong. Um, believe it or not, especially at the, the speeds that some of these jets are landing, the the training, maybe the maybe the crews aren't really proficient in flying in these kinds of really really challenging weather conditions. That uh, that LATAM A320, you know, they flew through the storm and then they flew back through the storm. That's amazing. The 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 pictures that Matt put up there and and the video that's playing out the damage that that aircraft suffered was pretty extensive. I mean, the, the windshield, you could hardly see anything out of. The radome was completely gone. That's certainly not doing anything for aerodynamics. Um, so, you know, in their case, uh, a bit of a foul on getting into the storm in the first place, but good job getting it back on the ground. I, I, I always feel bad when we have those stories, when we say, hey, you know, great job, crew for getting the airplane on the ground safely, but um, but what were you thinking? <laughs> you know. It's almost as, as John points out, John Jester points out in the chat room, you know, you do not fly through thunderstorms, do you? It doesn't matter whether you're in a PA-28 or an A340. Um, that Absolutely, and, and, and last week when we were talking about it with Andy about how, you know, how do you get into it? How do you paint yourself into that corner where you're landing with 400 pounds of gas on mm. in an Airbus um, with adverse weather and with all the technology that we have today from satellite technology to onboard aircraft radars to dispatch to a cars and, and being able to get messages and reroutes and, and air traffic control, having the weather on their screens, even, even in some of these more developing parts of the world, they, they have some of these things. And um, it's just, a, it's, you know, uh, it's just still surprising to me. But this, this week, you know, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of, uh, of overruns. And I'm glad there wasn't well, any major ones. I was just about to say, thank goodness there was no fatalities or, or serious injuries as a result of all that. That's, uh, but that's a lot of, uh, lot of hardware that needs some uh, patching up. <laughs> A lot of paperwork I'm, uh, is, is what yes. I'm seeing there. Yes. Uh, a lot of paperwork. I don't know about you, Matt, but I, f I fancy a cup of coffee. Always. Uh, although I am rather enjoying my um, my cheeky little glass of wine that I'm enjoying this evening. Oh, Cheers, everyone. Okay. Just some... Yes. Uh, but, uh, yes, a story number two, uh, Delta this time for a change. And the headline is Delta joins forces with Starbucks nice. Uh, simpleflying.com is the source on this one. Delta Airlines has announced a new loyalty partnership with Starbucks beginning today, which uh, I assume is today because they're usually quite good about this, especially when John's done the notes. Um, United States customers participating in Delta's Sky Miles and Starbucks Rewards program can link their accounts and earn one mile per one dollar spent on eligible purchases not only will customers enrolled in the delta sky miles uh will customers be enrolled into the delta sky miles and starbucks rewards programs earn one mile per dollar spent on qualifying purchases but on the days when a customer is scheduled to fly delta 
purchases uh, purchases at a uh, participating Starbucks store will earn double stars. Additionally, those who link their Sky Miles and Starbucks rewards programs between today and the 31st of December 2022 will earn 500 miles and another 150 miles once a qualifying purchase is made. Delta began serving Starbucks coffee on board select flights from 2013 and on board all flights from 2015. Now I'm going to be slightly controversial here. I don't like Starbucks. Oh. I, think, I think it's terrible coffee, personally. Uh, and I think, and, you're, you're, I, and I always say it wrong, the nicest coffee that I've ever had on an aeroplane uh, is on a 737-800, and it's the uh, and it was the Lavanza. Um, oh right, yes, coffee where it got the filter like thing all built into the lid yeah. and everything and. Um, I was very lucky because before somebody uh, I know you who used to work for them left, they brought me a load of them for me to be able to enjoy at home, which was quite cool. Oh, but uh, yeah, that was one of my favourite. Uh, one so of my favourite. I things. have a question. You know, I wish we had cab. We we need to have somebody on the ho- on the show, a host that is cabin crew, because Definitely. I have so many questions. I don't fly with cabin crew. Um, so if you're serving Starbucks coffee, is it still from the same? old carafe that hasn't been cleaned since 1985 <laughs> that you just attribute the the the, the extra um the taste <laughs> to, the, to the altitude i mean i see you know on on social media you every once in a while you see one of these things that uh it's like 10 things that a flight attendant doesn't want you to know and usually pretty near the top is don't drink the coffee or the water because uh because those those things don't get Clean. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> for us on the corporate side, we only—I don't know if I should say this or not—but we—it's on our end of month cleaning list. <laughs> right, that's okay. the only time good, we. Good I to mean, know. We, we rip them out, but <laughs> we only like deep clean them once a month. <laughs> so we have a very f- fancy coffee machine where I work in the office, and I'm afraid to say, Armando, it is rigorously cleaned every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I hate to say this. But John Jester used to fly for a regional airline, and uh, he says they don't come off the plane. Oh, Ooh. oh, nice. but but then we have Owen in the chat room who says they do get clean and and quality tested in most countries. That must. The exception must be the United States of America. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, I've, I've just been corrected as well, by the way. Uh, uh, by the way, apparently it's Lavasta. Uh, Lavazza. Lavazza. Yeah. That's it. Lavazza. Yeah. That's it. That's how it said. Lavazza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I've always been saying Lavanza. I've literally been saying it wrong my entire life. Uh, but uh, well, yeah. uh, before we move to the next story, Captain yeah, yeah. Cruz is uh, just said he's flying to Atlanta in November. Mm. on delta and he's gonna partake in some of the starbucks rewards but he's also going to the renaissance hotel in atlanta if you guys remember where we did the apg 500 um beautiful that's any any plane watcher any enthusiast that is the hotel now you're not gonna sleep because atlanta hartsfield doesn't stop (laughs) but but if you get one of the rooms that has the porch overlooking the airport you can see all four runways in atlanta including all the terminals from the Renaissance. Nice. Beautiful hotel. So have fun with that. 
Captain Cruz. Yeah, good luck. Yes, I think is what we're politely yeah. saying there. Yes. Oh, nice. Sounds good. <laughs> well, uh, yes, yeah, so the next story, Armando, it's all about uh, Alaska Airlines. I've only flown on Alaska once, actually, or twice, just from uh, Seattle to Portland and, and back. But a uh, pretty nice airline. And they're getting the checkbook out by the looks of things. Yeah. the I feel like it's just a topsy topsy-turvy world of aviation one week we say hey Aaron, look at look at everything airbus and then this week we're talking about boeing and alaska airlines just announced uh yesterday i think it was that it's exercising its options to purchase 52 boeing 737 max aircraft for delivery between 20 uh 24 and 2027 that'll grow the airline's fleet of 737 maxes from 94 to 146 so Alaska also secured rights for 105 more planes through 2030. That's ensuring access to sufficient aircraft for uh, fleet replacements. And this actually represents the largest commitment for future aircraft in the airline's history. Um, I am with you, uh, Mev. My dad, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was an FAA inspector. And he was in the Seattle Flight Standards District Office, the FISDO in the Alaska Airlines Certificate, Certificate Management Office. Um, so big airlines, like I think we've talked about it before, but um, big airlines like Alaska, Delta, American, United, Southwest, they'll have their own FAA representatives. <clears throat> they have their own section, the Certificate Management Office, the CMO that, uh, that oversees, because as you can imagine, you know, there's so much from a training maintenance operations standpoint. And my dad was an inspector for Alaska Airlines. And biased or not biased, he he always had just nothing but the best things to say about Alaska Airlines, from their operations to their maintenance to their pilot training, their cabin crew. And he would he would fly with them regularly and do inspections all the way into their their most um, austere and remote airports, uh, Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, you know, down to Juneau and Anchorage and, and everywhere that Alaska flies. But he was, he was always incredibly complimentary of Alaska airlines. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about them. No, and the, obviously the the route network that they operate is incredibly large, uh, with uh, all kinds of different weather, different temperatures, and different everything, isn't that really? Uh, the, yeah, uh, on their network. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they they fly all the way down into the southeast United States from from uh, from uh, Washington and Seattle. But another uh, seven thirty seven story, IAG. Uh, announced that its shareholders had just recently an, approved an agreement with Boeing to order a total of 50 737-8200s, aka the MEX, um, and 737-10s, plus another 100 options. But Boeing and IAG announced this agreement uh, that was subject to the shareholder approval. They announced this back in May, uh, earlier this year in 2022, the firm order now for 5737s will be reflected on Boeing's orders and deliveries website starting next month. Um, as you guys already know, the largest model in the family, the 737-10, seats up to 230 passengers if in a single class configuration and, and has a range of about 3,300 miles. Um, 
So there you go. Now IAG jumping on the the Boeing bandwagon, and that's another you know 150 potential orders for for Boeing. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, incredible. Next week we'll talk about how they messed something up, and, uh, <laughs> and like four other airlines are ordering Airbus. So, yeah, we'll be flipping we between the the two manufacturers every week. I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. But. Uh... Uh, here's an interesting story uh, from the, uh, is that the LBB online? I think it is, yes. Um, there are over 500 unique reasons to fly in British Airways unique campaign. Uh, the new positioning of British Original is a celebration of British Airways people, its customers and the nation, which has helped make British Airways a British Original. It explores the individual and original reasons um, people travel, whether to reconnect with loved ones, take time out or to immerse themselves in a different culture. The campaign includes an original approach, both in creative and media, bringing to life reasons for travel in a record breaking number of uh, executions. Um, encompassing over 500 unique print, digital and outdoor executions and over 32 different short films all running over the course of a month. The campaign is centred around the common question travellers are frequently asked when they land at a new destination. What is the purpose of your visit? But instead of ticking the standard boxes of business or leisure, viewers see more meaningful and relatable answers for travel reflecting each and every one of us. Sometimes funny and sometimes moving, but always celebrating originality in all its incredible uh, personal guises, showing that BA recognises each of its customers as individuals. The print, digital and outdoor imagery embroiders a stripped back uh, approach, embracing negative space, simply showing a tick box. The series will include over 500 different and uniquely written copy lines, showing viewers an original reason for travel across every media site. Some of the examples of reasons to travel include because I have too much on my plate, none of it is seafood, and to feed the social feed. These will, these will continue to adapt according to the location, time of day, weather, and what's happening in the news. Hamish McVeigh, who's head of brands and marketing at British OA, said, we really wanted this campaign to celebrate the originality of our customers and our people. Every time a customer boards a plane, they are doing so for a unique reason. And we know that these journeys are so important. We are working hard on making positive changes across our airline and the this brand campaign allows us to showcase our motivation which is our customers and our people well that sounds all very nice but could we have slightly cheap affairs i think <laughs> um, i think this is, this I, is know, quite it's, genius it's, marketing i've got to be honest it is yes it, it is and I'm, I'm sure it's been i'm sure it's excellent value for money and it's all marvelous but um <laughs> yeah i think i think we do with the fares coming down a little bit they're just getting a bit hot recently mm. uh, again so um but uh, no i mean it looks nice doesn't it you know um <laughs> i must say i'm glad i'm, I'm not involved in marketing 
better come up with <laughs> yes purpose for you know, travel I, business sorry i'm just we're laughing because uh, the, the graphic is so for those listening to the audio version of this uh the graphic so uh let me describe it it's basically a white background bottom left hand corner we've got the british airways logo and the little red and blue swirl just above that and then underneath that a line that says uh, a british original at the top of the screen uh reasons for traveling essentially i think uh with british airways is the the guys uh business uh, is one of the tick options leisure is one of them or the one that they've chosen is out tanned by a goth uh which which is uh, uh, has amused me i'll be brutally honest yeah um, and just to back up my point about the the cost of flying uh, jenny parkinson says she looked up the edinburgh to manchester fare one way which was 435 pounds oh and that's just a bit hot isn't it really i mean goodness me that's ridiculous no so they, they were Mark. sorry go on uh speaking of marketing i for me you know with my close relationship that i have with with the uk and how much i love it the um it's always nice when i land at heathrow and hsbc has the the marketing inside all of the jetways there and they have all of the british all things british and they're they're there's beautiful beautiful pictures and it's always nice to get off the airplane and all the way from 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 the actual airplane through the jetway through the hallways into the three-hour wait at the customs hall um it's so nice to to have these these vistas of of the whole British Isles. It's always nice for me to to come home. I'm looking, come home. Look, I just said come home. Come home. Yeah. <laughs> See, one one day, Armando. One day you'll come to your senses. Yeah. Uh, it's but, uh, one of the things I like again. Sorry, to describing some of these again to our, our audio listeners. I say again, similar sort of thing. We've got a what what I call a landscape version. You know, the Nev, the the, the way that Nev prefers. Obviously, uh, I, I love the fact because it's a digital uh, billboard that is showing this particular image. Um, but it says, "Are you traveling for business or leisure?" Those are two out of three options the third one being again because this weather sucks and the and the ink has run on all of the logos and the writing and the text and all that. it's little little attention to detail like that isn't it that that sort of is probably why this will work because it's making people smile isn't it I wonder if uh, somebody will phone up the signage people and say, oh, your poster's got a, a run on it. <laughs> yes, uh, I think they might. I, I think they might. <laughs> uh, hey, Matt, Matt, before you go on, I just want to say since, since Nev read the names in the chat room, it has filled in nicely. And I feel like we're at a meetup now because uh, also in the chat room now is Pip, Masha, Micah, James Brown, Captain Cruz, Ray Davis, Jenny, Alex Robinson, Dirk, Arnie, and Bill are all in there, in addition to all the names we already read. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We've got yeah. Uh, 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 Graham Haley is a name I've not seen for a long time as well. We were, we were mentioning that earlier. It's nice to have yeah, nice to Graham see back. Him. Absolutely. Now, we haven't spoken about um, drones for a while and, and near misses, have we? So um, perhaps it's time to do that now, Matt. Do you think? Okay, all right. Uh, let me just. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Story number four is uh, no number five. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, is to do with EasyJet and the headline from SkyNews.com is EasyJet plane comes within ten feet of a drone in close encounter. Wow. Uh, an EasyJet plane came within ten feet of a drone and pilots thought they heard a thud. 
an official report has found. The Airbus A320 was flying from Gatwick to the Greek island of Rhodes when about when it's about 16,000 feet in the London air traffic control area. Uh, pilots said that an unidentified flying object was spotted coming towards them, uh, the UK Air Prox board said. A drone is limited to 400 feet. The object was described as black and spherical in shape. It was also large enough to be able uh, for the pilots to be able to make out the details of a frame structure at its base. The pilots on board the 5th of July flight reported a very close encounter with the drone and said it had gone directly underneath the aircraft. Another report from the National air traffic uh, services quoted that what had been relayed from the flight deck one pilot said that they were very nearly just hit by a drone we're talking less than 10 feet they added we don't think we've hit it there was a bit of a thud we'll come back to you uh, once the uh, plane had reached its destination the captain provided a further update saying i can confirm we did not hit the drone it passed very close underneath the aircraft but the thud the first officer heard was likely from the cabin i completed a walk round and confirmed no damage and no maintenance action was required. Airprox rated the report as category A, meaning there was a risk of a collision. It said in the board's opinion, the reported altitude and or description of the object were sufficient to indicate that it could have been a drone. It added that the pilot's account showed a a definite risk of collision had existed. Uh, TCAS, uh, the traffic control avoidance system, did not detect anything. Presumably, guys, that's because of the size of it. I guess because it would have, you know, it would probably too small to show up on TCAS, isn't it? Uh, TCAS only works with transponders. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, the airline said in a statement, we are aware of the report and will be, and will always fully report any investigation. Safety is always EasyJet's highest priority and our flight crew acted in accordance with our standard operating procedures to ensure that the safety of the flight was not compromised. Now, I mean, I've got several issues with this. I'm very lucky enough to have an amazing drone. I was ironically only flying it last weekend, but I, I mean, I don't think I went above oh, 50 or 60 feet, something like that. You know, I'm, well, I, actually, that's not true. I probably went above the house high enough to be able to take some pictures because weirdly enough I was checking to make sure because we'd had some winds this weekend uh, the weekend just gone and I was literally using it when the weather had like the eye of the storm where it died down to literally check to make sure that none of the tiles had come off um, so uh, you know I was higher than the house if you see what I mean a two-story building here uh, in in Bungie but I I mean mine's a good drone I don't know if I would be confident that I had a signal from my you know my controller at sixteen thousand feet or whatever yeah sixteen thousand feet they were saying in london i mean yeah, i mean that's three miles away ish well i mean even if it was only directly straight up you know you're asking an awful lot of any kind of, i mean so that i mean that drone could easily uh, i mean was it out of control maybe the person flying it didn't intend for it to sort of yeah, I don't know. I think I think people get crafty with the programming and the software yeah. in them. I mean, anything can be reprogrammed. <laughs> even even geofenced or, or drones that are geofenced by the OEM, which is which mine is. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, anybody can kind of get in there and yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if I, if I took my my um, uh, if I took my drone to say Norwich Airport, for example, and I was standing at the perimeter fence, it wouldn't allow me to power up and take off. It would lock itself down because um, one of the conditions yeah. one of the conditions of it flying is it has to have a uh, a GPS and a data signal in order to be able to sort of mm-hmm. plug things. And if you lose your data signal, it won't fly. Um, and uh, because it, it it links with your phone. And so it uses like the GPS data and stuff in the phone along with its own GPS thing, um, yeah. yeah. As you say, and then it uses that map data to to basically ring fence it and say no, you can't fly here. Um, yeah, I think uh, when some of these more professional drones, to one pretty big, they will cause some damage on an airplane. Mm-hmm. The the day that there is a collision between a one of these larger sized drones. Uh, you know, not so much like a, a DJI type thing, but but the bigger commercial size ones. It's probably going to bring an, air, an airplane down. Um, to be honest, as as they become more popular for for filming and and, and many industries. But like um, Dirk is saying, this is this is probably intentional uh, manipulation of the software inside to be able to let it, you know, go that go that high. But I mean, I mean, I suppose, yeah, so what we're talking about here is somebody who's perhaps not, because I mean, you know, I know the people who use their drones for doing professional photography and things like that wouldn't dream of, right, right. you know, like the, like the pros wouldn't dream of, of doing this. So I, I guess there's nothing to stop someone who isn't a pro and who's going to adhere to the rules from purchasing said device, um, hot wiring it, for want of a better word, um, altering the software and and um you know bypassing all the gps restrictions and stuff yeah hmm. yes interesting but thank goodness uh no damage no, no. occurred uh but i as we keep saying it, it's just it almost feels like it's a question of time doesn't it really uh, before something happens here um so we've had some very fortunate situations well 10 where... feet is is nothing is it i mean that's um that's you know it, that's very much it's more a miracle it didn't hit something Mm, you know, when, also, it's only, when it's only 10 feet away. Well, if, if the um, the aircraft was at 16,000 feet, it's going to be going fairly quickly itself, mm. isn't it? So, uh, yeah, yeah the, the possibility of a lot of damage is, doesn't bear thinking about. It's very high, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that, something uh, brighter now, shall we? In fact, uh, nice and bright is the Spirit Airlines, uh, who today are going to be uh, talking about a merger agreement on one day. Yeah, this... This also a story that has just gone on and gone on and gone on. The whole frontier, JetBlue, Spirit Airlines mergers. Who's going to buy who? So Spirit Airlines announced yesterday that its stockholders had approved the merger agreement with JetBlue. Uh, the final voting results of this special meeting were tabulated by an independent inspector of elections, uh, and they will actually file this with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, Ted Christie, the president and the CEO of Spirit Airlines, said that this is an important step forward in our path to closing a combination that will create the most compelling national low-fare challenger to the dominant U.S. carriers, that they look forward to continuing their discussions with regulators as they work to complete the transaction and delivering value to team members, guests, and stockholders. Uh, So this is uh, still subject to government approval, but basically the uh, the shareholders, the legal entities, the government regulators are now all working on this. So 
was pretty significant step forward in in the merger between Spirit and JetBlue. Who's going to keep the name? I would guess it's going to be JetBlue, um, but we'll see what happens out of this. this, this they will become a powerhouse. They'll, they'll be the next Southwest Airlines. You know, Southwest started as a low-cost carrier. Argu- arguably, they're, they're, I mean, they're still low-cost compared to the others, but they, they've, they've over the years separated themselves from that low-cost carrier tier of operator into what is essentially a legacy airline, you know, major airline. Uh, this would this will put Spirit Blue or Jet Spirit, um, you know, solidly in that in that category of of probably the industry leader on on low cost carriers. So I wonder what name they're going to decide upon then for the airline. Yeah, Spit Blue, Spit Spirit Blue. I don't know. Jet, yeah, <laughs> Jet Spirit. <laughs> Flight or maybe it's Jet the... Blue and Yellow. Yeah, the last paragraph also mentions all of the uh, lawyers uh, and financial advisors that are involved with this as well. And of course, this is not a cheap thing to do a merger, is it? I mean, the the, the legal costs alone must be phenomenal uh, to do all this. And because it's dragged out for such a long time, um, there's some big invoices being hmm. sent. Yeah, out. and our professional pilots in the in the listenership from a pilot standpoint, from a cabin crew standpoint, and from a uh, operations support standpoint, mergers are never easy. There's so much to work through when it comes to merging operations and training, seniority lists, how do you do that? Now you have two airlines that have separate contracts with their pilot, cadres, you have to figure out all of that. And then, you know, there's a number one at Spirit and a number one at JetBlue. Who's going to be the number one pilot? And, and you know, same thing with the number 100 and the number 100. What what happens then? Um, we'll see. Yeah, I, I remember speaking to a couple of well-known pilots that, um, you know, have been involved um, with mergers uh, and their seniority has got, gone south, you know, very, very much. Um, so... That, that 20 years they've put in they find themselves uh, not not quite at the bottom of the list but not far, not as far up as they were previously so there's a lot to it isn't that that's for sure as well as the cabin crew and everybody else as you mentioned uh so the next story is on one mile at a time dot com and the lufthansa group dot com uh it's uh lufthansa has uh, last week unveiled its biggest ever investment in the premium cabin experience uh, as part of what's called the new, is it pronounced Allegri or Allegris uh, product generation? Um, for the very first time in the company's history, Lufthansa First Class is receiving spacious suites that offer nearly ceiling high walls that can be closed for privacy. Uh, the seat, which is almost one meter wide, can be converted into a large, comfortable bed. All seats and beds are positioned in the direction of flight without exception. In addition to many other storage options, there's a large personal wardrobe in every suite. Passengers inhabiting the new first class can even remain in their suite as they prepare for sleep and change into Lufthansa first class pyjamas. If preferred, eating together is made possible for the guests 
at a large dining table whereby one can sit across from their partner or fellow traveller just as one does in a restaurant. Uh, entertainment is provided by screens that extend across the full width of the suite with Bluetooth connectivity for wireless headphones. So that's the first class offering. Uh, in business class, uh, the this generation offers passengers direct access to the aisle from all the business class seats. Uh, the seat walls, which are at least 114 centimetres high with generous space in the shoulder area, ensure greater privacy. Uh, all seats can be converted into a two metre long bed and passengers can enjoy the in-flight entertainment programme on monitors measuring nearly 17 inches. Uh, wireless charging, noise cancelling headphones and the ability to connect one's own devices such as a PC, tablet, smartphone or headphones to the entertainment system via Bluetooth are also part of the new business class experience. Going a bit further down the back of the aircraft now in premium economy, uh, this was introduced at Swiss uh, in the spring of 2022. Uh, the comfortable seat is integrated into a hard shell and can be adjusted effortlessly without affecting fellow passengers in the row behind. The seat offers generous space in the upper body and leg areas and is equipped with a fold-out leg rest. Passengers can enjoy movies or music on their personal 15.6-inch monitor with high-quality noise-cancelling headphones. Um, the economy section doesn't sound too bad, actually, because following the success of the sleepers row, which offered economy-class passengers greater re relaxation on long-distance flights since all August 2021, Lufthansa now plans to introduce a Sleepers Row 2.0 on all new aircraft. Uh, in this Sleepers Row 2.0, one must simply fold up a leg rest and utilise the additional mattress on offer for rest and, and re relaxation on a reclining surface that is 40% larger compared to the original Sleepers Row. Also in the future, economy class passengers will also have the option of booking a vacant neighbour seat. So actually, that doesn't sound bad at all, does it? If you're in the, I uh, think it's lovely. Cheaper seats, not uh, bad at all. The, yeah. the one, the one thing. So I mean, I, I've done premium economy once before. I that it was it was a really nice experience. Don't get me don't, don't get me wrong. But essentially, other than a little bit more leg room, it wasn't actually any different um, to being in an ordinary, um, you know, e economy seat. And I have to say, one of the nice things about this particular offering is that I do feel like you're getting something a bit extra for being in premium economy. That much larger screen that's attached to the back of the headrest from the pictures I, I was showing there, I think that's a really lovely touch. Mm. You know, so you feel like you've got a, you feel like you're getting a bit more for your money. Do you know what I mean? Because it isn't, it's not a cheap upgrade particularly to go from economy to to um premium economy and, and and i do i do really like that you know you do feel a little bit more enclosed you've got to, you've, you you know maybe it's only sort of superficial but I, I would say you probably do feel like you've got a little bit more pro privacy with that little wrap round thing i know it's yeah. only a tiny thing um and, i mean don't get me started on the first class and the and um, the the uh, the business class because they're just gorgeous. There's no two ways. Yeah, about it, but, but actually, the premium economy offering is normally limited to what sort of forty seats, yeah, something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, on most airlines, and they 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 do make you feel quite special. Actually, it's its own yeah. little 
part of the club almost yeah yeah yeah, yeah, own little club yeah very much so but uh yeah i mean as i say i I just feel like they're offering the those who are having a premium economy seat i feel like they're offering them offering something a bit special other than better food or you know because you're essentially in premium economy but you're more or less getting the business class food if you see what i mean and and stuff like that um so i I think yeah i think it's a nice touch no, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, and that you've got the next story, Matt. And uh, apparently here's some frequent flyers getting excited, which is uh, never a good thing, is it? Is there? Right. OK, good. Uh, story eight. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So this is um, the headline is fewer things get frequent uh, flyers more excited than the prospect of an all you can fly pass. Ooh, this is coming from the pointsguy.com and also shortstack. .com, never heard of that site before. Uh, details are still somewhat light on the Frontiers uh, just announced all-you-can-fly offering known as the Go Wild Pass. But we do know it's coming in the spring of 2023 and that it'll be valid for 12 months for over 300 days of travel in that year. This is nice. Uh, forgive me, but I do recall a similar story when this was first sort of muted. Um, we're talking a while ago now. Mm. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, uh, this implies there will be days when it's not valid for travel, which we would presume would be on the what the airline considers to be peak dates. Uh, that's not unheard of for flight passes, as when JetBlue had its pass over a decade ago, the pass that included... Uh, the pass that included travel on Fridays and Sundays was more expensive than the one that excluded those dates, for example. Uh, we know that Frontier's Go Wild Pass will be valid for all of Frontier's destinations and offer an unlimited number of flights for the duration of the past. However, a potentially challenging wrinkle in Frontier's Flight Pass model may be lurking in the line in, uh, the, e- in the email the airline sends out about the the new pass that says you will be able to get confirmed for your flight for uh, sorry for your flight uh, the day before you take off just let that sink in shall Mm. we be able to get confirmed for your flight the day before you take off Uh, if that means that the earliest you will get a confirmed seat on your flight then that obviously limits the utility of the pass for those who need to plan trips more than one day in advance a very important detail we don't yet know for sure is how much the pass is going to cost other than frontier saying that a limited number of passes will be offered at a wildly discounted rate Uh, when jet Blue had its 30-day pass, it passes over a decade ago, they were just $499 to $699, depending on if you wanted to fly on a Friday or a Sunday or not. Uh, if you have an interest in being among the first to learn about Frontier's pass as soon as it becomes available, the airline has started a list for interested potential customers. Um, now, if it weren't for that that uh, cravat, if you like, that we were talking about just a moment ago, uh, where you'll only be able to get confirmed. Do you mean caveat? Caveat. That's what I mean. A cravat is something else, isn't it? Never mind. It's uh, it's the, the wine's really nice. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> never mind. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that particular caveat. Now, I mean that, and I mean you know, for the amount of flying that you have to do, Ned, for example, potentially 
having one of those passes could be quite beneficial to you but if you can't find out until the day before you travel whether you're whether you've got a seat confirmed or not it's almost like they're trying to exclude the business traveler i feel it possibly and i can't imagine the, the conversation i would be having with my customer you know well i might see you tomorrow Stuart. but if uh you know i although i booked the flights you know a while ago they they can't confirm that i've got a seat on it yet that's that's not really going to work is it no um, so but um no interesting but again i think there's always people and airlines out there looking to do something different as I mean, well. I, lo I love the um, idea of it. I mean, the, mm. it's one of those. Uh, I mean, if money wasn't an object, it would be a perfect gift for someone. Do you know what I mean? Where you could just say, "Here, you can, you can go anywhere you like in the world for a couple of days and just come home, or, or whatever." Do you know what I mean? Armando, what do you think about that? Is that uh, something which would appeal to you? I don't know. You know, I, maybe when I retire like actually retire, you know, and, and you have flexible that's, travel. That's absolutely not going to happen like ever. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, it will happen according to my financial advisor when I'm 60. So, <laughs> um, oh, well done. <laughs> you know, I do remember, I don't, I don't know when we talked about this last time, I don't remember if it was frontier airlines, but I specifically actually remember Steph talking about the utility of this and, you know, I don't think there's anybody more qualified than Steph who just takes these trips on a whim all over mm. the world. And I, I don't think she was a huge fan of this kind of, you know, now you, so you're buying, you're buying these passes. The, the airline is holding your money. Mm. You might as well just take that money and have it somewhere else and make money for you so you can just buy regular tickets that you can confirm more than a day in advance. I don't know. That's the thing for me. That that's what would put put things off for me. I suppose if I was retired and it wasn't an issue whether I went that day or not, then perhaps I, you know, I, I might feel more inclined to to sort of do it. But um, I think it you know what this reminds me. So we have um, in the military, in the U.S. military, we have this thing called space available travel, and I've never used it. Well, I guess not never. I used it when I was a kid because my dad was in the military also, but. Um, you can literally show up to a military base, usually the transport bases, and they have a terminal, just like they do in you know a small airport. And you can actually catch space available flights to wherever it is that they're going. They have somewhat of a schedule, but um, it's entirely free. And as a retiree, you know there's a category of of uh, priority for getting on the airplanes. Right. But I could potentially say you know what, I, I need to find a tanker that's going to RAF Mildenhall from the U.S. I may have to drive to Charleston, South Carolina, Charleston Air Force Base, or maybe up to Andrews Air Force Base. But there, but this it's all space-available travel, almost like non-revving if you're in the airline industry. And it, this is what this reminds me of is, I want to get to England, but in order to do that, I may have to go through... Uh, Spain, I may have to go through Frankfurt before getting there. What was going to be a direct flight from Andrews to Mildenhall may now be stopping in Reykjavik. Um, and they may just cancel the flight halfway through and say, hey, we're all going to go to Germany anyways. So it kind of reminds me of that, where you just need to have flexible plans and have basically nothing to, you know, no customers meeting you, no family events to be at, just 
hey, I've, I've got two weeks off and, and I'm going to just block off the first three days to a little adventure on, on how I'm going to get there. Hmm. Yeah. I, yes, I suppose it depends on your appetite for risk and, and adventure, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, Armada's got the next story about P2Fs. Yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, catering to our cargo family here. So more, yet more evidence of an increasingly active market for passenger to freighter con conversions. Um, this on the, on the heels of an agreement by Amazon to lease 10 additional A330, uh, 300 P2Fs, as Nev mentioned, uh, freighters from commercial aviation finance company Altavair. Uh, Hawaiian Airlines has agreed to begin operating the aircraft for now. Um, these aircraft are undergoing conversion by Airbus ST Aerospace in a joint venture with Elbe Flugzeugwerke um, for Amazon upon this first delivery scheduled for the late 2023. So Hawaiian Airlines began operating A330-200 passenger jets in 2010 now flies 24 of them. Um, so even though uh, this uh, the the Elba uh, Aircraft Works also offers conversions of A330s, um, Airbus considers the longer fuselage A330-300 uh, P2F particularly suited for these kinds of uh, carriers because of its high payload capacity with lower density cargo. Um, Christian... Uh, Sharon, uh, Airbus chief commercial officer and the head of Airbus International, said that the endorsement of our freighters by Amazon speaks volumes about the market value of the A330 and the position that Airbus wide bodies are gaining in the cargo market. Um, the, Air, the Airbus uh, A330 P2F was launched in 2010. Um, DHL was uh, one of the first customers of the 300 and you know they're they're deploying it on their asia pacific route so pretty interesting right continue as we always say cargo continues to grow and and freighter conversions continue to grow and that you know is where we're going to see some of these retiring larger uh, aircraft um, going i'm sure in the future well, yes. even if they've done their, their passenger service there's uh... mm. A lot more life if left in them uh, in, a, in a cargo operation. Um, Very much absolutely. so. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, presumably there is still a fi finite limit, though, in terms of in the same way like the Vulcan, for example, was being retired because it was the airframe was now like super tired and couldn't be sort of, well, or, you know, or is it just, well, perhaps considered not deemed worthy uh, financially to sort of, patch up and keep going but i mean presumably the airframes have a, a, a you know a final like date on them they they do um but it may not necessarily be the whole airframe so look right. at the b52 for example where maybe the airframe itself is good the fuselage but they have to re-wing them every 20 years or re-engine them or um, there's life limited components within within the airframes um I think there's been, you know, significant manufacturing leaps between the 50s and the 60s when some of these first, you know, 737s that we saw converted 
to now when you're talking A330s that were built in the, in the 2000s, uh, pretty significant leaps in, in the, the construction of them and the materials that may actually be longer and, and enable these airplanes to fly well into their, you know, fourth and fifth decade and, and especially, you know, doing as many legs as they do. And um, yeah, but even then that we didn't include the story this week, but, but then you also have, I think China just produced a, a drone. It's a four engine turboprop drone that uh, fits three or four cargo containers in there. Um, the cargo thing, you know, in e-commerce is just going to continue to grow and, and I think we're going to see a lot of this happening. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. Next story is on the travelweekly.co.uk, and it says that British Airways has returned to its full Club World service, which was simplified during the pandemic to reduce interaction between cabin crew and customers. The full service in the long-haul business class cabins sees a course, each course served to passengers individually, and new Club World menus reflect British ingredients and traditional fare, along with regional variations tailored to specific routes. Uh, for customers wanting to maximise their sleep on board, the airline is also reintroducing its express service on evening flights. Customers can request a one-tray service to, so they can have a quick meal and then head to sleep. Uh, Sadia Ismail, who's BA's head of onboard experience, said that we have taken time to ensure that we are offering a premium brasserie-style dining experience that not only tastes good, but one that our crew feel confident in delivering. We have such great, uh, we have had such great feedback from the recent introduction of the new menus across our first World Traveller Plus, World Traveller and Club Europe cabins. And we know our new Club World menus won't disappoint. The focus on classic British meals ties in with the airline's recently launched marketing campaign, which uses the slogan of British original, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Furthermore, the airline has revamped its Club World check-in zone at Heathrow Terminal 5 and is continuing to introduce its newest business class seat, the club, club suite, across its Boeing 777 fleet. Well, I'm hopefully going to get a bit of a taste of some of this uh, early part of next year when I go to Dallas on the A380. So I'm hoping that they will um, do a bit of that. Although the trouble is with these long haul flights, that there is a danger that you can overeat, I find, and then you get <laughs> to the other end. And someone says, oh, Nev, do you fancy going out for dinner? And you go, no, I really couldn't eat the night. Actually, thing. no, I do not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yes. So. Indeed. Um, so, uh, so good news for Logan Air coming up, uh, Matt. That's good to hear, isn't it? Uh, it is. And uh, sorry, uh, Armando sent me a video, a picture, sorry. And I've been a little distracted. So oh. bear with me. I'm sorry about that. I was trying, I was trying to do that thing we're not famous for as men. Uh, two things at once. <laughs> uh, yeah, story number 11 is lots of good news for Logan Air. Uh, Logan Air has returned to profitability following a challenging period for the air transport industry. This is coming from UKAviation.news. Now, of course, this is interesting because it's up for sale, isn't it? Um, the, the guys who own it 
have just put it up for sale. So this, yeah. this is actually, I mean, talk about getting their timing just right for very much selling it as a going concern, isn't it? Following assurances that the company remains deeply committed to the islands, Loganair has this Wednesday announced a before-tax profit of £4.98 million for the last year, accompanied by a turnover of £161 million. This news comes after losses in each of the previous two years as the effects of COVID-19 pandemic struck the airline industry. As it celebrates its 60th anniversary, Scotland's airline has also declared itself the UK's third busiest airline behind British Airways and EasyJet when measured by the number of flights it operates. The statutory accounts also document for the first time that Loganair has secured a new long-term five-year contract with the Royal Mail to undertake its Highlands and Islands Air services, delivering to Scottish Islands by day and connecting to Royal Mail's national network each night. Four larger ATR 72-500 freighter aircraft have been introduced to replace the Saab 340 freighters for the new contract, with the older Saab aircraft being retired as part of a wider fleet renewal plan. In another sign of how well the airline is being prepared for sale, Loganair has repaid a UK government-backed loan that provided financial stability during the pandemic. This was part of the UK's coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, where the government backed loan uh, backed the loan from Logan Air's long-term banker Virgin Money. The money was repaid nine months ahead of schedule, and Logan Air has transitioned to a new financing agreement with Virgin Money. To top it all off, solidifying its comments to the Orkney Island, a uh, commitment, sorry, to the Orkney Islands, Logan Air has announced it is launching a passenger service between London City Airport and the Orkney Islands for the first time. The twice-weekly service will operate on Tuesdays and Fridays, providing a connection between the islands and the UK's capital city from the 4th of April 2023. Uh, Operating via Dundee, uh, passengers do not need to connect with a different flight and can remain on board during the turnaround in Dundee before continuing onwards with the the three-and-a-half-mile-long flight. Three and a half hour long flight. Three and a half hour. My apologies, sorry. I wasn't quite sure. Um, Which is quite a slog, isn't it? If you think it's London City to Dundee and then on to Kirkwall or or wherever they're going to. That's a pretty long slog, actually. Mm. Um, but, I, I, I mean, hmm. I, I mean, this story is just great news, isn't it? There's no two ways yeah. about it. Connectivity, and, and of course, we were talking yeah. about the. I mean, that was one of our stories last week, wasn't it? Where Logan Air had paid off. Uh, it was going up for sale, and they, they played. We discovered then, didn't they? They, they, they paid off their COVID loan um, early. Um, and when you think um, where, and I'm sure Logan Air was no different to a lot of the islands. You know, essentially, a lot, a lot of the airlines where essentially they were on their knees during um, yeah. COVID to not only come out of that with a profit, but paying off their loan nine months early. I mean, somebody, I think, is you know whoever's going to get their big check out, pro- checkbook out, probably Elon Musk, given the way things are going at the moment. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be. Um, somebody's going to get themselves uh, their hands on a, on a really cracking little airline, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it funny to learn that Virgin loaned Logan Air money? <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> it always amused me when also hardly connected the same thing, but when you're in the British Airways lounge, you, you go for their um, uh, uh, internet connectivity, uh, which is provided by Virgin. They, they, must, they, must, they must hate that. Yes, they must, they must, that. Must, yes, must be sort of like... Speaking uh, of things that I hate and give me a nosebleed is the uh, prospect oh. of the middle seat, Armando. I can, I can barely... Well, I'm glad I'm not reading this story, I have to say. I'm glad that you are. <laughs> well, but this way you could consider yourself a lottery winner because uh, no, obviously nobody likes to sit in the middle seat. And we were actually just talking in the in the chat room about how Euro business or intra-Europe travel, when, when I, at least when I was flying with Euro wings or, or German wings, uh, their, their, their upgrade, I guess product was you buy a ticket that doesn't have a middle anybody sitting in the middle seat so uh, apparently apparently there was a poll done 7500 uh flyers were were polled point uh, sorry 0.6 percent actually answered that they prefer the middle seat now that's i'm guessing within the margin of error of the poll or or the people that actually answered yes to this were were uh, on, incapacitated. On drugs. Yeah, <laughs> some, somehow they marked that that little bubble. But this, well, according to Vir, uh, Virgin Australia, this number may go up. They are starting a scheme to get passengers to willingly book the middle seat. They've launched what's called the middle seat lottery. It's a special raffle worth about. Uh, Australian $230,000 or you, uh, $145,000. It's only open to those who sit in the middle seat voluntarily or involuntarily during a flight. So from now through April 23rd, 2023, the Velocity Frequent Flyer member aged, or sorry, any Frequent Flyer member aged 18 or older who is seated in a middle seat can use the airline's app to enroll in this lottery. Each week, a different prize is going to be awarded to the to the, the winner of this lucky draw. Um, amongst some of the gifts up for grabs are a full-day helicopter pub crawl. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, a two-night holiday in Cairn, Cairn, Cairn uh, including flights, accommodations, and, of course, you know, a bungee jump. Um, fans of the Australian Football League, there are flights and tickets to uh, Australian Football League Grand Final, as well as exclusive access to the pregame lunch and after party. And travelers can also win Virgin's Platinum Velocity Frequent Flyer status for one year, along with one million extra velocity points, as well as, uh, oh, this is right up Carlos's alley, uh, new, uh, a few refurbished. Uh, gallery carts or galley carts. Yeah, they call it gallery carts. They're galley carts. Um, so there you go. If you're part of the Velocity program, you sat in the middle seat. Get on the app and go ahead and win some of those prizes. And you know, I don't know what this is. I don't know what they're trying to do. They're going to fill, like fill those seats anyways. But I guess enticing you to book a middle seat. I don't. Thoughts, Nev? Sorry. Are you cleaned up? Did you come back from the doctor already? <laughs> oh boy, the, the prospect of it just makes my blood run cold. But <laughs> you don't—you never know, do you? You never know. Um, so, but uh, not my preferred method of 
guy on an aircraft. I just don't like the whole idea of the lottery thing. It just, it's no. just, it's just a gimmick, isn't it? I agree. Yeah, but uh, you know, there's, there's I guess if it's if you if you've involuntarily sat there, right? You just got assigned the seat, and you win one of these things, and I guess there's nothing lost. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that doesn't even want to think of the prospect of this. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. It's, a, it's a difficult conversation to have for me, I must say. But uh, yeah. anyway, well, that brings us to the end of the commercial news section. Um, next up, we've got the final part of uh, Chris Burwell's interview uh, with Nick. Uh, about Nine Lives, the book he has written, and uh, great book it is as well. We're going to be uh, we're going to be offering this as part of a quiz question because uh, we've got a signed copy here, and um, we will be featuring it on the YouTube channel as well. Um, we've also got Nick asking some quite difficult questions, which he doesn't normally do, but uh, have a listen. Now, this is a slightly contentious uh, question. I hope you won't object. But you tell us that in 1994, the RAF believed that a female pilot's flying aptitude was of a lower standard than that of a male pilot. In addition, you mentioned that lady pilots at Cobham might have struggled to make the grade had they tried to join the RAF, unlike some of their male counterparts mm. who worked for you. In light of the equality issues such opinions raise, mm. um, would you like to expand on your position a little more? Well, uh, yeah, I, not particularly. <laughs> I, I would, uh, what I've written in my book is exactly what I think about it, and I don't think there's a simple answer to this one. And um, more evidence on female aptitude towards flying may well be available, but I'm purely going back to what I was briefed by the director of recruiting when I was taking over at Skempton about female aptitude. And it was very interesting that they showed this graph with the two curves about female aptitude versus male aptitude towards flying. And in fact, um, the fact is that the female curve was displaced to the left by and large. So what that told you was that some of these female pilots would be just as good as the guys, but you would have fewer of them if you follow the, the, the logic of the graph, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So that, that, that was the fact that they were, at that time, aptitude testing all the females that went through selection to get a, a database going to have a look at this. And this is what it was coming up with. So you was, I'm not saying for a moment, you're not going to get very capable female pilots. We know there are very capable female pilots out there that always have been and there always will be. But if you want a large number of them, it might be difficult if you have a very high entry level to find enough females to meet the quota. That's it's interesting. That, yeah, I, I understand entirely, though, in particular, um, in the recent years of the resignation of uh, the group captain yes. recruitment, yes. Um, who has taken great exception to the quota system that the RAF are trying to Correct. introduce yeah. now. I, I hope you don't mind me bringing that up. Mm. No, because that's exactly what I'm saying. Because if you finish up with an arbitrary number, that you want 20% female pilots this year, you may have a lot of trouble finding the right quality. 
to meet that quota system. It is part of that um, the fact that we're not attracting the right type of female pilot to the military? I mean, the, we, we know from the airline experience there are plenty of incredibly capable mm. female pilots, and in fact, we shouldn't really be having a conversation about the sex of the pilot at no. all. We just should be looking at ability. But is there something we're missing when we uh, look at the appeal military flying has to the ladies of, you know, out there who might consider the job? Well, I mean, military flying is a very difficult thing for a lot of people to get their brain around. I've done a lot of recruitment, um, particularly when I was in Spain latterly talking to people about going into a career as a pilot and um, I say or I, I, I don't do it anymore but I've always started off the conversation when mum and dad come along with their son or daughter I, I usually start the conversation by saying so you want to be a pilot yes okay what is the cheapest way of learning to fly or how can you learn to fly without spending any money and a lot of them just go Oh, I don't know. And then some say, oh, join the military. Yes. I said, and if you come to fly with us in Spain, to train with us, how much is it going to cost you? And I go, well, I don't know. I said, well, it's going to cost you about £100,000. So I said, on one hand, the military will teach you to fly for nothing. On the other hand, you're going to spend £100,000 to come and learn to fly down in Spain. And that's a good course and it will get you exactly where you want to be, but it's £100,000. So discount learning to fly with the military at your peril or think about it hard before you decide you want to go down the commercial route. And then they say, and quite often they say, well, we've actually thought about the military, but we've discounted it because A, the discipline, B, being shot out, it's dangerous, all, and they come out, fine, you've thought about it, that's great. Don't join the military. Right, now let's talk about coming to Spain to fly with us. If you want to attract the right type of uh, pilot, yeah. whether they're female or male, you've got to zero in your recruitment yes. uh, on people with the correct aptitude. Correct, Nick, yeah, I'm, I'm with you again. The, yeah, and I think joining the military as a pilot or aircrew is, is a very difficult thing for some people this day and age to make that decision they want to go and do that. It's, it's a real commitment mm. um, because as I mentioned in my book it's not just a matter of going off in a very exciting aeroplane having fun, it's actually um, finding yourself on the potential receiving end of some nasty people. you know. Or, in my case, you know, finding that you're flying a Harrier across the Atlantic and then down the eastern seaboard to go and confront the Guatemalans, you know. You just suddenly think, this is where I am. You've got to be committed to doing it. You've got to be committed to taking the government's shilling for doing that job. Somewhat in contrast with Cobham, your time with the Spanish Flight Training School, mm. which we've just mentioned, uh, FTE Jarez, mm. is noticeably more relaxed, uh, enjoyable and successful. What, what do you put that down to? Uh, very simple, actually. Well, two things. Spanish people are lovely. <laughs> the, the other thing is that um, 
it's not it's it's a large flying school but it's not a huge organization it's it's not like um, it's not like the royal air force and it's not not like cobham either cobham quite 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 a large company it's it's a fairly small operation where everybody knows everybody and the issue there at, at FTE Jerez was that the CEO, a lovely uh, Spanish guy called Oscar, selected people. And in our case, the flying side, which he was not a pilot, he'd done some flying, but he wasn't a pilot. He just wanted us to run it and do the job. And if it, we could make it work properly and safely, he was happy. So he was largely hands off and appreciated what we were doing. Sounds great. In your summing up, you mentioned that the Harrier Force was fortunate in being given the most able of pilots yeah. who went through training. I often wondered if that ever led to feelings of superiority amongst the pilots in the Harrier Force. Oh, I couldn't admit to that, could I? <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps I should be asking the rest of the Air you Force. You should be asking the rest of the Air Force about that. Yes, I think, I think there is... Um, that is probably a justifiable um, accu accusation. Uh, and in fact, Clive Loder makes comment of it in, in the foreword to the book, quite rightly so as well. Absolutely. And I think, yes, the Harrier Force uh, always saw itself as slightly different. Um, and yeah. the reasons for that are, are quite obvious with the revolutionary aircraft and the fact that we did all sorts of wacky things, which is what the book's largely about, which we all enjoy hugely. So yes, you could, you could become a little bit arrogant and uh, in fact, I, I tell the story when I arrived at Gloucester in personal management, how my fellow squadron leaders had wound the girls up in the office about, oh, Harrier pilots are special and so on and so on, which led to uh, the early morning Monday whiskey drinking. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yes, well, you'll have to read the book to find out yes. about that. Yeah. Um, the chief of the air staff, Sir Glenn Torpy, decided mm. to prematurely scrap the Harrier Force, whilst the Jaguar's life was actually being extended. How did you feel about that decision? Uh, yes. It was a largely, um, it was a very unfortunate decision, I feel, for Sir Glenn having to make that decision. Uh, there is no doubt that the Harrier had been developed to a very high standard at that point with the GR9 in service with the range of weapons that it could carry the ability to operate off the flat top, and as I mentioned in my book, to see the aircraft come out of service along with the flat tops for the Royal Navy just at the time we needed them off Libya was quite ironic, really, and very sad. I, I, think, the, um, I think the decision was largely a Harrier versus Tornado 1, Tornado GR4-1, and I have to admit the Tornado GR4, greater weapon-carrying capability, longer range, two crew, all that sort of thing, more of them. It was probably a very sensible decision to keep the TR, the GR4 running and for the Harrier to go. And I say that very sadly um, because it was a great aircraft and it left service too early. There is no doubt about that. Yeah. But within the financial constraints that Sir Glenn was facing at the time, yeah. that's life. Absolutely. Now, the Harrier was renowned as a difficult and potentially dangerous airplane to fly, and you mentioned the deaths of four OCU instructors killed just before you began your training. But interestingly, none of those accidents, there was a mm. control flight into terrain, a mid-air collision, and an 
inadvertent ejector seat yes. firing were connected with the Harrier's unique flying qualities. No. So, do you have any thoughts on that? The they're 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 all uh, pilot error. There's no doubt about that. The flight into terrain up in Norway was put down to an optical illusion. And that was that the little fir trees? Yeah, the yes, small fir tree versus that. the big fir tree. Yes. And that was what that was put down to, uh, which is very interesting. And of course, optical illusions have killed a lot of people uh, in flying cloud banks versus mountainsides and all this sort of thing. You know, there, there are some very dangerous optical illusions out there. So, yes, it was pilot error, but we're all human. And if you get an optical illusion, it can finish up with flight into terrain, which is what happened in that case. The mid-air collision between two instructors, it was a standard form of attack. There was a mistake made. It was human error. And again, that comes back to my point made earlier on about if you operate in the military, operating these machines, doing difficult jobs, mistakes are going to get made. And that was sadly one of those. And again... Um, the guy who trod on his ejection seat handle as he was leaving the aircraft. I've done display flying. I think there is a lot of pressure involved in display flying. And it's distraction. You can be distracted before you get airborne with all the crowds and everything that's going on. You can be distracted after landing. After landing, there's that sort of euphoria. Right, I've done the display. It went well, blah, blah, blah. You get back onto chocks. You've forgotten to put your pin in. And it's just distraction. And again, it's human error. It's very sad. But as you say, nothing to do with the Harrier at all. Interesting. In your summing up, despite the success of your career, I did detect a feeling of uncertainty that might have led to your early retirement. You certainly mentioned your lack of university background as one cause, but I know several mm. very senior officers who had a, a more limited education, recruited as airmen and went up through the apprenticeship yep, scheme. Indeed. Uh, surely that shouldn't have been a major impediment for you? Um, I, th I think it got pulled into sh uh, start relief for me by going through the Royal College of Defence Studies course and then the Higher Command Staff course. So both those courses you mentioned them earlier, but both those courses are for officers who are destined for higher rank, essentially two ranks higher from where you are. So as a group captain, I would have to have reports suggesting that I would make two-star Air Vice Marshal. So otherwise I wouldn't have been sent on the courses. When I went on those courses, yes, I found the courses very interesting. I found them demanding, but I also found myself rubbing shoulders with people from across the military and other sectors who were destined for higher things, as I was supposedly. And I just didn't see myself in that category, to be totally honest. By any standards, Chris Burwell has successfully enjoyed a varied and demanding flying career that has taken him from the world of a Harrier pilot to one of the lesser-known areas of professional flying in the civil sector. His book candidly describes his life in all sorts of cockpits, doing a number of different jobs, that the reader will undoubtedly find fascinating. It's a thoroughly good read, and I commend his memoir, Nine Lives, to you.
Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381 that's 01932 857 381 wow what a series that was nev um yeah i'm really just uh, yeah just just brilliant um as i say good old nick not afraid to ask the odd um shall we say yes, he, he, difficult uh, questions yeah, as richard said in the chat room richard adams says uh, very great and very well considered questions from mm. captain nick and I, I couldn't agree more and uh, he's very well suited to this kind of interview especially yeah. because he's been there and done it and this is why i like using nick uh, to do this sort of thing and uh, in a few weeks time when I've got the editing machine up and running again we'll be um, probably have about three parts of Nat Boys and uh, this is when Nick's interviewing Rick Peacock Edwards down at uh, White Waltham Aerodrome as we did the other week so I'll be putting that together and we'll be putting that out as well so uh, indeed so, I mean, that, that's the end of this particular interview, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, fret not, though, people, because we do have another uh, two-parter coming next week, Armando. Perhaps you could just uh, uh, give people a bit of a, a heads up on that. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say, well, well the video was with the Chris Burwell was airing out. Ne even Nev admitted that the military is the best part of this show. <laughs> Did you record that? Did you record that? <laughs> um, no, I mean with Chris Burwell, and and he actually with his bare hands uh, raised the book, the Nat Boys. Right, mm. that's a military book. Snap, we may actually be turning you. Huh? Um, so uh, uh, no, I think specifically it's about nine lives. <laughs> Specifically about Nine Lives and Chris Burwell, um, the interview that you mentioned that we're, we're doing over the next two weeks, we're going to air out. We, we, we finished the, I finished the interview with this gentleman. His name's Stuart Airy. He was a uh, uh, pilot for the Royal Flying Doctor Service, one of the longest humanitarian organization, aviation organizations in the world. Um, and while I was explaining to him our podcast and our show and what makes us a little bit different... He actually said, oh, I just bought Nine Lives. And I said, well, go back and listen to the last you know, four or five episodes because we've actually interviewed the author of the book. But, um, yeah, you see him there. We had a nice chat at the uh, hotel lobby over a nice bottle of, of, uh, of whiskey. And he tells us about his adventures. He was actually the deputy chief pilot for the Royal Flying Doctor Service in Western Australia. And after that, you know, we talk about his uh, his introduction to aviation, and and after it's either fourteen or seventeen years there, um, he went off to to other ventures and is currently flying uh, corporate in India. Um, and we didn't touch any of, of that in the interview because it's his current employer, but uh, just privately, you know, you know, over over many drinks. Uh, that could be an, an interview in itself, <laughs> which is, yeah. you know. So let me just get but, this right. You, you you actually conducted this interview over an entire bottle of whiskey. <laughs> that 
Correct. Now the interview is only fifty-two <laughs> minutes. The unedited was fifty-two minutes, and we and we finished. I opened the bottle, and, and it was empty when we left. So, <laughs> uh, wow. Oh, so, I bet I bet there's some interesting conversations on the cutting room floor there. <laughs> <laughs> but, and and I edited edited it at like two in the morning so wow okay uh, right okay yeah uh, nev we might but, need to check this one for errors i think uh, yeah <laughs> i think so yeah. <laughs> no it's a, it was a great interview and Stuart's a great guy he was actually my sim partner for this whole week oh, and wow. uh, it's it's not in there but day one so we there's only a day of ground school and then you jump right into the simulator and day one our instructor uh, noticed that we had good chemistry between us. Now, I, he comes from, from the RFDS and, and flying overseas, and I come from a military background, yet somehow we were able to uh, work as a crew. You know, both of us work in, in crewed environments. Now, the Pilatus is a single-pilot single, single pilot airplane, but if you, if you operate it in a crew environment, then they test you and they train you as such. Um, so they put the two of us together for the week, and um, we hit it off in our on our procedures were were fairly similar our approach to flying the Pilatus uh, ng this is the next generation one was uh, fairly similar and and the instructors actually commented on how well we were wo- working together for being thrown in there um you know from two separate companies in two separate parts of the world but and, anyway, and, and i blame yeah. the fact that you had a, a an evening discussing uh, his background over a bottle of whiskey i think that may or may not have had something to do with it <laughs> we only drink after the same oh, of course absolutely yeah so that's so that's uh, two parts that we've got coming up uh, very very soon. Uh, the ne- the first part being next week. Very excited to bring that. And then after that, uh, Nev, uh, we're back with Captain Nick, aren't we? With a very special series. Yes, yes. So we're going to be, um, as I say, we've got three parts of uh, Nat Boys we're featuring um, Rick Peacock Edwards, and um, yeah. This is very entertaining, I think you'll find. We shot this down at, uh, say, White Waltham Aerodrome, and um, it was, uh, as you can see, not brilliant weather there, so we had to shoot it inside. But uh, just give you a bit of a bit of a flavour about uh, some of the things that uh, had uh, to stay Nick current about. on um, quite a few types. At least one was operational, so I went back to the tornado again. So I had a great tour there, um, basically sort of floating around the air force. Um, I had responsibility for the whole air force flew everything can't wait to hear about that as, that's insane as i said it? last week <laughs> when he says i had responsibility for the whole of the air force and i flew everything i mean just <laughs> gives you an idea of sort of the standard that we're talking about yeah here. very much a moment i yeah. think yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely so yeah some great interviews still to come guys so make sure you stay tuned for those uh, i think we do need to do something now though armando that really that's the reason why you've hung around let's be honest <laughs> uh well nab did whisper it uh, in my ear, in our earpieces, he said, "All right, let's move on to the next and the best part of the show, which is the military." So, Did he? Right. <laughs> okay. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Buggies one three five fifty angels sixteen heading three four zero. Okay. Right, 
so the, this first uh, sort of military update is a couple of new airplanes. And I don't know why I'm so attached to this airplane. I really like it. I really like its capabilities. I've never even seen one in person. But the KC-390, uh, it's a, made by Embraer, uh, the first KC-390 Millennium cargo aircraft for the Portuguese Air Force was escorted by two F-16s um, in a good way, not in a bad way, and landed at Beja Air, Air Base in, on October 16th. 2022. This is the first of five aircraft acquired by Portugal uh, originally in 2019, which soon became they they will soon become the first European operator of the Brazilian uh, made aircraft. Um, the aircraft took off from Gabião Peixoto in Sao Paulo on October 15th, and after two fuel stops, it finally arrived at its new home. So this is a cargo transport plane. It's going to be de- delivered to the Portuguese Air Force. Uh, in February of 2023, followed by an additional KC-390 every year until February of 2027. Now, the first five Portuguese crew members have already completed their qualification training in November of last year, 2021, at Embraer's facilities in Brazil. The KC-390 is going to replace five aging C-130H Hercules aircraft that are currently in service with the Portuguese Air Force. In the meanwhile, the first KC-390 for Hungary, who will be the second European operator of this type, is in final assembly stage and is expected to fly next year. After Portugal, in fact, Hungary and Netherlands uh, selected the KC-390 to replace their uh, AN-26s and their C-130Hs, respectively, becoming the second and third operators of this Brazilian aircraft in Europe. Now, very cool airplane. Uh, Jonathan Warner, I'm sure, is going to send us some pictures at some point. But You're in luck he's at work at the moment, so you'll get away with it on the live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably get him in the middle of the night here. Yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. yeah. Um, so then the next uh, airplane we're going to talk about is is one we, we did actually mention a couple months ago, but the HH-60W. So this is the Jolly Green Giant. It's not a giant anymore. The Jolly Green 2 uh, reaches initial operating capability and departs for its first operational deployment. This is the Air Force's newest combat rescue helicopter. So it's the W model of the HH-60. Um, the milestone was celebrated with a ceremony at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia. It's one of the uh, first locations that are going to receive the HH-60W uh, on September 9th, 2022. This public announcement, however, was delayed with General Mark Kelly, the commander of Air Combat Command, giving the news on October 4th to public affairs and releasing the information just last week on October 12th. Um, that picture there is the KC-390. So that was the, the first part of the story. If you forward on, that's the that's the whirly bird we're talking about. Um, it, this press release specified that the IOC, or initial operating capability, means that the Air Force now possesses uh, enough Logistics requirements trained airmen to support a 30-day deployment to any independent location with a package of at least four aircraft. As a matter of fact, this helicopter will be deployed as soon as IOC was declared, as shown in the photos that you just posted up there from a few days ago, and that's from the Defense Department. So at least two helicopters were shown in the photos while they were loaded onto uh, C-17s at Moody Air Force Base. Matt, did you show that picture? I think it's uh, it looks like a, a a big airplane puking out a little airplane. Yeah, that's the one. 
<laughs> so, that's so, a very good description yeah. for those listening on on the audio yeah. version to be fair well there you go it's giving birth it essentially giving birth <laughs> yeah <laughs> um pretty amazing that that a bit you know 60s blackhawks are not little helicopters and they fit into a c-17 like that but uh no details were given with those uh pictures as far as you know locations or where they're going or anything like that uh, the only the only caption that was put out there said uh, Moody Airmen set out on the first ever operational deployment of the HH-60W to provide rescue services in support of contingency operations. And of course, that could mean they're going anywhere in the world with these helicopters. Now, the last airplane we're going to talk about in this first story is Aero Vodoshodi uh, conducts the maiden flight of the L-159 T-2X trainer prototype. So this Czech aircraft company is uh, is testing this aircraft as of just this week, I believe. The demonstration was conducted recently at Vodoshody's airport in the Czech Republic. Uh, the latest milestone comes four years uh, of, of intensive work performed by the company to modernize and upgrade the L-159 to fulfill these emerging needs of fifth-generation fighter pilot training programs. Um, this company is using the L-159 T2X uh, to test and validate all its new features and systems, including some new design elements, some new avionics systems uh, of, of the aircraft before they um, mass produce it. And this is really, I mean, if you look at it, it looks like an L-39, but uh, it's just, you know, all of, all of these airplanes are, are being uh, modernized to meet everything that we talk about on the show in the military segment, all the the data requirements, the interconnectivity requirements. Um, imagine, imagine all these things that you have, you now have to train the pilots uh, earlier than later on how to manage not just the airplane and themselves, but all these systems too. Like really, their systems operators. Um, so there you go. I think we're going to see some of these aircraft, um, you know, flying for another couple of decades. But they're going to have to get retrofitted. In. Mm. Um. So uh, I didn't put names on this, but Matt, if you want to take the next story. Yep, certainly. Yep. Yeah, this is uh, similarly, this is uh, kind of a, a Navy version of, of this kind of airplane, but they're having some issues. Indeed. Uh, so the story, as Armando is alluding to, it's from the NavyTimes.com, and the headline is Navy and Marine Corps training jets are grounded. Uh, the safety stand-down that has grounded the Navy's fleet of T-45C Goshawk training jets happened after one of the trainers experienced a low-pressure compressor blade failure before takeoff on the 11th of October, officials have confirmed. Officials said no prior Goshawk mishaps had uh, are, be, sorry, are being attributed to this type of engine blade fault, although a mishap from August remains under investigation. The, Na- the Navy initiated the safety stand-down on the 14th of October. Goshawks are used to train Navy and Marine Corps fighter pilots. The T-45s have been flying since 1988, with the sea variant entering the fleet in 1997 now it's not entirely uncommon for planes to be grounded uh, even if there's really even if it's an isolated incident isn't it i mean that the, the right. protocol usually is isn't it to ground these things while they look into it to make sure there's nothing serious but i mean here's just a slightly crazy idea is um could the age of this aircraft have something to do with this possibly i mean um, i know well, one one shouldn't speculate i know but sure the the engines though 
on are usually under a pretty rigorous maintenance program. The engines will get replaced every several thousand hours. Hot sections get inspected or, or replaced. But this story kind of makes you think of every time we've had Peter on the show, and you know he's talking about about these kinds of inspections that they do on commercial aircraft, and he's done some military ones too. But this is exactly the result of this. This is why Peter has a job, and and. You, you, you're doing a routine inspection, not attributed to any kind of mishap. They discovered this flaw um, in the in the engine. Usually, jet engines or turbine engines have some a low pressure stage, high pressure stage, various you know uh, blades and, and and power turbines and and uh, and that, that's exactly how this was discovered. It was during a, a routine inspection, and they said, "Wait a minute, something doesn't look right. Let's look at all the other ones," and then. By a leadership decision, they said, "You know what? The f- human safety is number one. Um, we need to make sure that all of the aircraft, all of the engines, this particular component is safe to operate um, before we put them back in the air." And uh, again, you know, it just makes me think of every time we've had Peter on, and he talks about how how incredibly meticulous these inspections are, and how minute the tolerances are that he's looking for. I bet. I bet, I bet. Uh, now, uh, b- before before we move on, just going back to the other story, I, I mentioned a phrase there that has, um, uh, uh, shall I say, encouraged Captain Cruz to send us a photograph because uh, I mentioned the words an aircraft giving birth uh, a moment ago. Uh, he Ooh. just sent us a really incredible photograph, this is. Now, if I've recognised those colours correctly, that's a, that's apart from an Emirates aircraft, is it not, that's... Uh, um, being I, being sort of ejected from the beluga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, certainly looks like like the vertical, like the tail fin of a of. A, I, think, I want to say the tail fin. Is that possible? I've well, that right. Yeah, and it's got to it's got to be something big. I, I'm guessing it's an A380 or something tail fin because if you look at the size compared to the fuselage, the beluga. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah and look at. I mean, it is it is kind of puking out uh, a little. Looks like an A. I want to say three twenty, maybe three twenty. When I can just, yeah. I don't know if that's a door or just the straps that it's holding, that's holding it to the cradle. But yeah, yeah, the size of that tail fin compared to the uh, the A three twenty ish airframe that's popping out of there is. <laughs> Pretty significant. I know, indeed. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't resist sharing that. By the way, if you do want to send us photographs while we're on air, by the way, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's the WhatsApp number. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Yeah, and I just sent you a, a picture a few minutes ago. That was specifically for Nev. Oh, our okay. Instructor, our uh, instructor in the simulator uh, just happens to have a modeled. Uh, British Airways 737, oh, 747. 747, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's clearly a now, man of, of quality, right, Nev? Is that what... Uh... <laughs> well, it looks a bit looks a bit like an SP version. It's a bit on the short side. I, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, someone's obviously worked very hard on that, but it well, just doesn't some, look long enough. Some people are so ungrateful, aren't they, I wonder, so, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it does look a little a little wonky, but um, mm. the, the reason this airplane was parked here because is they can't simulate, they don't have the visuals for de-icing trucks. So uh, he said, well, your de-icing is on the way. Um, so they landed this 747 in front of us, turned it away from us, and they said, just taxi up close to it. And the, uh, and the jet, the exhaust will melt all yeah. of the ice <laughs> off of your airplane, and then you're, you're cleared to take off. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
Brilliant. That's a that's a really good view of the uh, the Honeywell Primus avionics that's in the in the Pilatus NG, which is an incredible, incredibly capable system. That's um, the Honeywell Primus is also the same avionics that's in a Gulfstream Four. So, uh, kudos to Pilatus for putting such a capable avionics package inside of a single engine turboprop, and they did eventually put this on the PC twenty four also, but. Um, that's probably the hardest part of flying this airplane is the avionics. I bet. <clears throat> I bet. Um, anyway, lovely though so, that is. We're in the middle of the military. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and it's all related, right? Um, yeah, okay. Th- sure. this, uh, this last story, now this is a, I don't know if it's really an update from last week's story. Now, we had a good conversation with Andy last week about, you know, all of our thoughts of, of the British, the 30 British pilots that are over in China right now. Yes. Yeah, There's yeah. A, a bit of a development. Nav, do you um, want to take this one? Yeah. When I um, saw it was on thedrive.com, I thought it was something to do with uh, tarmac and, and <laughs> things like that, but um, clearly not. Oh, uh, but it does say the ex-Marine Corps Harrier pilot who worked in China has been arrested. Uh, former U.S. Marine Corps AV-8B Harrier II attack jet pilot who had been working in China has been arrested in Australia. Daniel Edmund Duggan, 54, now likely uh, faces extradition to the United States. It was an interesting development to occur in an ongoing crackdown on an, on ex-military pilots from Western nations working in China or on behalf of Chinese clients elsewhere. Namely, that last week's re- uh, revelations that at least 30 British former military pilots had been hired by China to provide training and in- intelligence to the People's Liberation Army. Duggan was arrested last Friday in Orange, New South Wales by Australian Federal Police. He appeared in court there the same day, according to court records. Two police sources and his lawyer, uh, Reuters, reports. Uh, a request for bail was reportedly to denied, leaving Duggan in jail in nearby Bathurst. According to one of the aforementioned police sources, the Australian Federal Police were acting on a US request that he will be likely be followed by former extradition, uh, sorry, that that will be likely followed by formal extradition proceedings. Ahead of any such move, Duggan is due to appear in court in Sydney in November again, where a further bail application will be considered. Well, he moved to China in 2014 and worked for an aviation consulting company. Prior to that, he was active in Australia where he ran Top Gun Tasmania, based in Hobart International Airport, under the banner of Australia's premier adventure flight company. It employed former military pilots from the United States, Germany and the UK and offered pleasure flights to paying customers. Its aircraft included the Jet Provost T-5A and L-39 Albatross jet trainers and Nanchang CJ-6A prop trainers and it also participated in Australian shows. So this is an update, isn't it? Uh, because mm. we didn't have this information uh, this time last week about uh, actual uh, proceedings that are being levelled against uh, people. Incredible. Yeah, and I don't think the UK has come out yet as far as saying, are they going to prosecute? Are they going to actively uh, look for these 30 individuals? But it looks like the US certainly is is not on board with any former military um, <laughs> member uh, providing intelligence to the to the Chinese army. So, at least any you know word of caution to any U.S. service members or former um, you know DoD civilians that are out there that 
looks like you will be arrested and you will be brought back to the U.S. Um, and I, I can almost anticipate that the U.K. will probably do the same. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't. Sur- it genuinely doesn't. Sur- I mean, th- this story did surprise me. It, it, you know, it was uh, almost a shocking headline. You know, it was, it was quite shocking in its own right, wasn't it? I, I mean, it was just like I'm literally thinking, this isn't going to end well. I don't. I don't understand why this is, why this is happening. You know. Yeah. So there you go. That's the military for the week. Yeah. Phenomenal. Thank you, Armando. Brilliant stuff. Um, well, that's uh, coming towards the end of the show now, isn't it? Mm. Um, so let's just give you some some ideas, ideas about how you can contact us you are on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just search the social media platforms for Plain Talking UK. Uh, as Matt said earlier, if you want to send us uh, pictures or anything you like, it's WhatsApp uh, plus 44 You can send voice notes that way as well, by the way. Please yes, do. We'd, we'd love to yes. hear from you. You can send your feedback that way as well. Send mm. us a voice note and we can we can play it out on air. Good idea. That's 40, uh, plus 44 uh, Email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is all the w's plaintalkinguk.com we're also on youtube as well just take a look uh, for us there and also uh, if you want to do any of your shopping via amazon you can use the uh, amazon link on our website we've got a small referral fee for you doing that and you can also become a patron as well details of all that are on our website also now because i didn't ask matt what he was doing uh, next week last week I'm going to ask you now, Matt. What's, what are you doing next week? <laughs> um, not very much, really. I'm oh. house. I'm dog sitting. I'm dog sitting this week, uh, so I will be uh, looking after my friend's pet. Uh, that's going to be good fun. The lovely Grousey, um, very adorable little dog. So I will be doing a lot of. I will be mostly, for the first time in a long time, working from home. Oh right, nice. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. See if I can remember how to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Armando, what are you up to uh, next week? What's the plan? Well, uh, the joys of airplane ownership is Monday. I am already taking the Cub in for maintenance, <laughs> and uh, it's getting some brakes replaced and a couple other things. I, I'm not happy with the the way the engine is making power. It's it's just feels to me like it's a little lethargic. Um, so it's already going into maintenance, and that's that's part of the deal. You know, when you buy an airplane, you got to have double the money to. Yeah, so that's the, the brakes not working properly, and you're not happy with the engine performance. Those are two things I think on an aircraft which are quite important. One might say fundamental, Nev. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, luckily I've just been flying it around by myself. But uh, where I first noticed it was on a 2,000 foot grass strip that uh, I had gone into and just done some some landings into, and, and coming out of it, that was a it was a warm day, but. You know, I just I just felt like the power wasn't wasn't fully there, and and uh, and then the other day, right before I came up to Colorado, I uh, I took off, and and the airplane was just not accelerating. So now I had this this sort of in the back of my mind engine issue, and I said, man, am, am I am I just not making power? And this this was a four thousand foot grass runner, so plenty of room. And then, and then it felt like it was just sluggish getting off the ground, and and so I immediately came back around and landed, and I realized that the right brake was actually just dragging a little bit, which is not great. Um, 
when you're you know trying to take off on short grass strips. So both of those things are, are getting addressed this uh, this Monday. And then other than that, I, I get a hawker trip on Tuesday, and then I'll be back into Pilatus at the end of the week or something like that. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, yeah. I hope that's uh, hope that all goes well for you. Uh, next week, I'm off work. I've actually got a week off next week. Um, so you think I wouldn't be flying anywhere, but no, not true. On Wednesday, myself and Mrs. Nev are off to Stockholm uh, for a couple of days to see her favourite band, The Script. And uh, I'm looking forward to that as well, actually, because I've never seen the band before, and nor has she. Um, so that will be really nice and something different to do. As well, big so. fan personally nev so i think you're gonna yeah, have a great they're time a, they're a great band aren't they mm -hmm. yeah she's got all their albums but she's never seen them live so i thought it'd be nice nice to go and uh, see them live uh, so that'll be great looking forward to that very much indeed so um i think that's about it don't you matt anything else we need to cover uh, we, no i think i think all the uh, you know all the all the formalities have been dealt with <laughs> oh, that's fantastic stuff well thanks to you armando for a great contribution as ever and and to you matt as well i think carlos is going to be back next week is, oh is that'll that be nice yeah you could, uh, deign to uh, give us his present next Excellent. week but, oh, uh, what a treat yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, in the meantime thanks everybody for watching and listening tonight and today and hope you have a great weekend see you next week bye for now mm -hmm.